The savings rock when you find a new way to roll. Like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, commuter connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom, an official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what, we, so we know what you want. Uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yep. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Uh, I had a chance to do some serious XM Channel 450 Fox News Radio last week. So enjoy this show. Thanks so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Hope you're having a fine Thursday. Oh, my goodness. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about immigration, what's going on with the border wall. The National Guard is going to be down there defending the southern border. Uh, but what does that really mean? Is it just a show of, uh, is, it, is it theater or will they actually uh, do anything? Oftentimes they go down there, they have no guns or no arms. And sometimes they go down there with arms, but there's no bullets. So really they just have uh, a large um, weapon to lug around there that can't actually do anything. So we're going to get into uh, quite a bit of that. I also want to touch on a little, a little bit later on in the show the reboot of Roseanne. It's causing a lot of controversy. And I got to say, I watched the first two episodes. I don't see what the controversy is. It made me feel right at home. Uh, like it was like I was 11 years old in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. As soon as the intro music hit, uh, I felt like I was lying on my stomach watching a television that weighed about 500 pounds, uh, you know, eating cereal out of a uh, yeah, a cardboard uh, cutout thing. You remember those little cereal packets? It was the cardboard thing, but it also cop. It also doubled as a bowl, a square bowl. You don't see that anymore. I understand some folks don't like Roseanne's politics, but that's totally fine. I'm not uh, in line with her politics, but I thought the family dynamic was was dead on. It was spot on. It's exactly the way. It was another great. Uh, it was great insight into the way that a lot millions and millions and millions of American middle-class families live. And I thought they have bro uh, broached certain subject matters in a very humane way that you just don't see on any other show. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Carl Reiner is very upset uh, that uh, Roseanne is back on the air. 
Uh, certainly, people don't seem to be upset because the ratings uh, are extremely high, which, of course, is why uh, Donald Trump called Roseanne, which to be a fly on the wall during that conversation would have been quite remarkable. We're also going to talk about the tariffs. Uh, what does it mean, the trade war, the looming trade war? Larry Kudlow, our boy, uh, taking a bit of a different position on tariffs now that he's working uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, he's more pro-tariff than he was in the past, to say the least. He is now defending Donald Trump and saying, with this looming trade war, don't blame Trump. Blame the Chinese. So we'll, we got a bunch of audio, and uh, we'll break that all down for you. Let's start, though, with what's going on right now in California. Mayor Sam Abed, he is a mayor of Escondido, California. He's of Lebanese descent, and he is taking on the state's sanctuary city policy. This is him talking about how it's not the right thing to do. And I want to hear your thoughts, because I understand uh, this issue is extremely complex. Uh, we want to be humane, but we also have to protect the rights of the citizens that are here. My father's an immigrant uh, from Germany. He went through the process. Uh, basically, my father took a shortcut, which meant falling in love with my mother, and that's why he's here today. I believe he's still technically a German citizen, uh, which is why I'm also uh, a dual citizen of this country and, of course, Germany. Germany, by the way, a country that is really reeling right now because of Angela Merkel's immigration policy. Again, we want to be humane, but uh, it's not humane to um, it's not humane to the citizens that are already there to uh, to welcome a million individuals into your uh, into your country that may not have any desire to assimilate or ability to assimilate. So these are all issues. We've got to work out here, and we will. I was also just down in the state of Florida. We had a family uh, get-together there. My girlfriend's parents met my parents. So what I'm trying to tell you is I need a vacation from my vacation. That's a lot of stress, ladies and gentlemen. But there is obviously a large immigrant population out uh, in Florida, specifically Cuban. And the Cubans have more of a conservative view. I was speaking to one fellow at a bar, as I do. That's where I do most of my polling, by the way. Most of my sample sizes uh, come from whatever. The sample size is however many stools are at whatever bar I'm at. And he was much more uh, hawkish, much more conservative on immigration uh, than someone might uh, think, specifically if you only listen to the uh, more national outlets when discussing the, the, the intricate nature of our immigration situation. So let's play a clip here of Mayor Sam Abed, and then I'm going to break down what he is actually talking about, this California Senate Bill 54. I'm going to go through it. We have a good bill summary, so we'll get you informed on that. This is the mayor. This is the right thing to do. You know, I was elected mayor to keep the Constitution, to uphold the Constitution, and to keep our community safe. I am committed to do that, and that's what the council did today. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I want to hear from the people out there that might rely on immigrant labor. Uh, obviously, California gets sort of labeled as Hollywood or as the liberal elites. Most of California, specifically Northern California, you get a lot of conservative outlets out there. And in Southern California, you got a lot of farmers. Uh, you have a lot of working class folks who are just trying to run a business, whether it be a car wash, um, 
or a farm, and they rely heavily, oftentimes, on undocumented workers. So do you think that it is possible that those individuals might not be happy with, uh, with Donald Trump's uh, proposed plans as, uh, as we see here going forward in the future? Let's play another clip of Mayor Abed talking about how they're giving uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented individuals more rights than citizens. And I think we can all uh, comfortably say, that doesn't seem right. And of course, everyone should have an equal playing field. And certainly, I know there's a lot of immigrants that came to this country, went through the hellacious process that is to be that that it requires to become an American citizen. And perhaps they look at these individuals who have come here illegally uh, and have a little bit more anger. We'll play a clip of an individual uh, that feels that exact way here in the very near future. Let's go back to the mayor. This is Mayor Abed. Given illegal criminals more rights than our citizens is illegal is immoral, is insane, and yes, is unconstitutional. California Senate Bill 54. Okay, so let's get a little bit into this so we can have a, a good history here. The legislative history of this bill. It was December 5th, 2016. It was introduced to the Senate. Uh, April 3rd, 2017, it was passed by the Senate. So, I mean, this is a relatively recent uh, turn of events. So April 3rd, 17, 2017, it's passed by the Senate. 9-15, so now we're into September. September 15th, 2017, passed by the Assembly. And finally, Governor Jerry Brown, who maybe he has his eyes set on a national uh, campaign at some point in the very near future, running for 2020, we don't know, but he did sign this into law 10 5 2017. So this law really was, it's recent, and it did change the culture of California. And you have to wonder if the individuals in that state, and I want to hear from you if you are in that state, on both sides, because we had, we just got to figure this out. If you're, if you're for uh, this uh, Senate Bill 54, which is basically the sanctuary state bill, or if you're against it, I want to hear your thoughts and I want to know why. Uh, let's play a clip here. This is coming in from uh, Kristen Gaspar. She was on Fox and Friends, and she's talking about uh, following the Constitution. Uh, she is on the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. Let's take the emotion out of this. We're talking about following the constitutional laws of our land, and that's what we need to remember here. Some people may remember the <clears throat> Arizona versus U.S. case that was brought forward under the Obama administration when the state of Arizona was attempting to increase its enforcement of federal mm -hmm. immigration laws. The Supreme Court, of course, said, no, you can't do that. You can't create local policies, local laws that attempt to override our federal immigration laws. So let's do a deep dive here into the bill summary. So this bill, again, this is the State Bill 54, the Sanctuary State Bill, prohibits state and local law enforcement from holding undocumented individuals on the basis of federal immigration detainers or transferring them into federal custody and left it unless they've been convicted in uh, in the last 15 years for one of a list of 31 crimes uh, that list will con uh, that list consists of obviously uh, major felonies uh, if you're a registered uh, sex offender you will be reported uh, to the uh, to the federal authorities so it's not necessarily everyone uh, that comes into the state of California 
uh, is safe. It's not a sanctuary necessarily for uh, criminals. It is a sanctuary, theoretically, uh, for undocumented individuals to uh, who are perhaps worried about uh, deportation. It's a, th- a sanctuary for them. And one interesting component to all of this, the sanctuary city uh, – thought, the philosophy behind Sanctuary City, it's actually a Jesuit tradition. It came from the religious leaders, uh, and that was their whole point. It was it started with the church, and obviously it's become something uh, that is much different uh, than perhaps uh, their um, their intent. Now, again, should the federal government uh, be dabbling with all those sorts of things, who knows? Maybe it should have just been left up to the churches. This prohibits state and law—again, going back to the bill here—it prohibits state and local law enforcement from asking anyone one about their immigration status. It prohibits state and local law enforcement from sharing any information with federal immigration authorities that is not available to the general public. So they really have a see something, don't say anything, and don't ask anything policy. What do you think about that? 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. We do have an issue in this country when it comes to uh, crime, obviously. We want to have laws on the books that protect citizens who aren't out there committing crimes, and we have to protect people uh, who are victims of crimes or potential victims of crimes. So does this handcuff law enforcement, is it unfair to law enforcement to handcuff them in this way and not have them allowed to ask the status of an individual who is an immigrant? We'll go to break, but I want to play this sound here of an illegal immigrant who came to this country legally. This is his thoughts. This is a unique perspective. Um, Obviously, someone who went through the process of becoming a legal citizen. And it was interesting. I was talking to my college professor. I went to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and he mentioned to me in the 80s, uh, immigration, it was 70% white, and now it's less than 23% white. So we also have a racial component in there uh, when we're having this conversation that I think is a uh, a subject worth broaching. We'll take this clip to break. This is a legal immigrant who came to the country. This is what he had to say. I came to this country 45 years ago with me and my mother, okay? 45 years ago, we were not offered sanctuary. We were not offered an easier, softer way, okay? We were told you have to be an American citizen, and here's what you have to do, and we did it. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Oh, my goodness. We are talking about uh, immigration. I just have to say on a, on a separate note, we're going to bring this up a little bit later on in the show. But my producer, Christine, she is drunk with power because she just fired her babysitter. It's the first time she's ever fired anyone. How do you feel, Christine? I feel so good. <laughs> and can I just tell you something? You are, as I've said, on every. you're a maniac. I feel so good. I want to go fire somebody else. Uh-huh. I'm all pumped up. And let me tell you something. Uh-huh. Now I understand why Trump did The Apprentice for so many years. Yeah. Just telling <laughs> someone you're fired. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So you have the same ego as Donald Trump. Is that what you're saying? Wait, no, that's not, no, wait. That's not what I just said. All right, let's get back to, uh, let's talk about what's going on here with immigration. The Trump administration uh, Wednesday night deployed the National Guard to the southern border in its latest bid to combat uh, illegal immigration. This is not the first time it's been done, but certainly a large, uh, a a big step uh, in Donald Trump's mind to protecting the southern border. Obviously, he only got $1.6 billion for the wall uh, in the the budget deal, the omnibus deal that passed. 
wanted $26 billion. So they certainly didn't give him everything he wants on that. Let's go to the phones in Los Angeles. Alan is on the line. Alan, thank you so much for calling in. You're right there. You're ground zero. Uh, what do you want to say about this, uh, about this uh, Bill 54 and uh, in the conversation in general? Uh, hi, Ben. Nice to be with you. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you too. LA, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know. Obviously, this the state legislature, state legislature is overrun with Democrats, so they basically can do just about what anything and whatever they would like yeah, it is, to do. It's one party I, rule I can, there. Yep. Yeah, and I can tell you, the vast majority of the state is definitely against uh, sanctuary cities. Definitely against you know. Uh, going against the Constitution, um, it's just a joke. We're, we're all laughing about it, basically, because it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, even the, the whole thing, you know, the premise behind it of being, okay, well, you know, <clears throat> we want, you know, people to speak about, you know, uh, and, you know, help us find criminals. Right. Are your police officers that bad? I mean, it's 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 a silly joke. Well, I and guess I that is that is the uh, the counter argument to it is if you push these individuals underground, they have no alternative but to go make money illegally, right? Of course, it, it just it spawns all kinds of crazy stuff that's that's nuts. So, sanctuary city is not held as a very well regarded uh, policy by the vast. Okay, Alan, we lost you there, but I think we got the point. Thank you so much for calling in, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. We have Juan Williams, of course, from The Five, coming in here at the other end of this hour to talk further about this issue. I want to do a deep dive further now, just so we understand what we're talking about, because so many times we have conversations about things, and uh, no one even has the base knowledge to really have a good understanding of what they're talking about, and that is an issue that affects the left and the right. And that's why us here in the middle are the ones who are trying to bring this country back to uh, a rational place. So going further on with the Sanctuary City Bill, it prohibits state and law enforcement from using any of their money or personnel to, quote, investigate, interrogate, detain, detect, or arrest persons for immigration enforcement purposes. It prohibits state and local law enforcement from allowing federal immigration authorities to use space in their facilities. It's interesting if you take it as a state's rights issue. I don't believe the federal government should be telling states how they should live. I think that the states uh, know what's best for their communities. And that being said, I also think when a state government makes the bad decision, it's up for the individuals in that state to then overturn that decision or to change the laws uh, in their local municipalities and in their uh, in their local areas. So this is definitely a change of culture. It was a huge bill that passed. Uh, I recall it was uh, there was a lot of uh, conversation, but perhaps there wasn't enough conversation from the legislative point of view to the people. I don't recall ever a town hall being held by Governor Brown or uh, or a lot of the other folks uh, that passed this bill. Uh, perhaps they should listen to the will of the people. Uh, but uh, far, far too often, our politicians are too busy listening to lobbyists. All right, I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Juan Williams. Don't go anywhere. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're going to keep our uh, conversation going with, uh, I don't even know, it's not co-host. It's, it's, there's five of you on the five but I'm honored to be with my favorite member of the five, Juan Williams. Thank you so much for joining. Ben, my pleasure. Good to be with you. You yeah. know, radio is you, man. 
Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's good radio. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that uh, coming from a man of your uh, intelligence. So we're talking about sanctuary cities. Obviously, Donald Trump made some waves today. He was supposed to be talking about the tax cuts, but somehow uh, segued into going back to what he talked about when he descended from the escalator, when he referred to uh, Mexicans as rapists and murderers. And of course, some of them are good people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's play that clip and we'll just kind of roll from there. And remember my opening remarks at Trump Tower when I opened, everybody said, oh, he was so tough. And I used the word rape. And yesterday it came out where this journey coming up, women are raped at levels that nobody's ever seen before. They don't want to mention that. So we have to change our laws. So, of course, he's referring to this so-called caravan that's been happening since, I believe, 2011. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the ironies is they caravan for their protection, right? Because there is a lot of, of sexual assault that happens uh, as coyotes are taking yes. these individuals from uh, from their nation through Mexico. So what are your thoughts on, first of all, those comments? And then let's get to the National Guard stuff going to the southern border. Uh, where do you think – do you think that um, uh, Donald Trump's policy is – is it going to address any of these actual concerns? that individuals are having. Well, in fact, the president thanked Mexico today. He said Mexico helped to deal with the caravan so that it never got to the U.S. border. A lot of these people wanted to apply for asylum, okay. which is a totally legal thing to do, by the way. You know, I mean, we have a law that says that people coming mm -hmm. from troubled lands, and Honduras would definitely be a troubled land at this right. point, uh, have the right to apply for asylum, you know, to come to our borders. Mm -hmm. We don't have to give them asylum, right. but they have the right to apply. So when it comes to people from Honduras, I do think there's a little bit of a misconception. Uh, we, they talk about the criminal element. In Honduras, it's, it's run by uh, drug cartels. Right. The corruption is, uh, you, you can't understate it. But the folks who are fleeing, and this is what I've said for a while, I, I see them almost as refugees in some way. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's not it's not the case. It's not the, the criminals people, that are leaving. The criminals no. own it. So yeah. the criminals love Honduras. They have no problem. Right? Yeah. The criminals would be trying to send drugs or something. Right. And he has made that argument. The president's made the argument, oh, we, we need to secure the border to stop the influx of drugs. But then the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, says, uh, but Mr. President, most of the drugs comes through legal ports of entry. People right. hide it. You know, stick it in the warehouse. Yeah. Is that what we're calling the, the butt now, the warehouse? <laughs> that's how it's getting through, minute, Can you say that on the radio, Ben Kiss? Can you say that? Well, I just did. All right, all right. So, yes, that's what people are – I mean, but right. that's, but anyway, my interesting point on this is I, I'm so intrigued that you bring this up, that there's a humanitarian crisis. Right. That if you're trying to raise your kids, if you want an education for your children, if you – you know, economics, the building, all the like, a job – Honduras is not the joint. No, no, it's not. So, you know, we have sort of the two-prong issue here. We're talking a lot about the sanctuary city uh, law that was passed as well in California last year, uh, signed into signed by Jerry Brown. It's uh, Senate Bill 54, basically the sanctuary city. And I do understand, though, for the residents of California, as, you know, you ask, uh, you know, folks out in Germany what happened uh, with Merkel's immigration policy. Right. We have to find middle ground between being humane but also respecting the the— the rights of the folks who were there uh, previously. So what do you think about the sanctuary city conversation as we're having it right now? Well, I think that the president is sort of on trouble with his base. 
uh, mm. because he hasn't built the wall. Right. Well, and, you got the one point six billion, which was it's well, not that, enough. No, it's not enough. And actually, and then there was yeah. that thing where you know they were doing repairs on the wall, and some of his folks said, "Oh, we're building the wall," and it was like, "No, no." Then they had to retract that and say, right. "Oh, we, we understand that's a repair job." But the thing is, I think you know, they, Col- they should get the deal with Flex Seal. Now that I think about there it, there you go. Make a deal with Flexi, Flexiel. Just spray the wall. Spray it. It'll be fine. Not only that, get some graffiti artist out there, right? <laughs> Make it a beautiful wall. That's, that's a it. big, beautiful wall. Can you imagine if Banksy is financed by the Trump administration? <laughs> he might have a problem with his base. But wait a minute. You know who really we need to have put some graffiti on the wall? Ann Coulter. Because right yeah. now, all of her fire is aimed at Donald Trump. Right. Right. And Ann Coulter's her major complaint, as so many people's major complaints are when they really believe in a president. I don't know how any adult does that anymore. They don't think it's happening fast enough. Right. Right. I mean, he's still pushing forward as much as he can. Obviously, I want to hear your thoughts on the omnibus bill. They didn't get anything they wanted on immigration. Do you think that um, as we come up towards the midterms, we saw a couple obviously in Alabama, uh, we saw the situation in the Pennsylvania 18th with Connor Lamb. Do you think some of these Republicans are no longer tethered to the idea that if they go against Donald Trump in some ways, they're they're going to be crucified by their own uh, state? Well, this is an interesting conversation. Yeah. yeah, so today I was having a conversation with a big time Washington shaker and mover. Uh, who's a Republican okay. and pro-Trump, and he was saying that there's panic uh, among Republicans because previously they thought Trump can save you, right. that the Trump base is big and passionate, and if Donald Trump comes in, he'll activate that base and you can win. But what happened in Alabama, mm-hmm. as we saw with the Doug Jones victory there yep. for the Democrats, as we saw in Pennsylvania 18, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Ben, uh, he went there, too, right. had a big rally the, the weekend before the election, but didn't save either of those Republicans. Right. So I, now you're seeing Republicans say, well, listen, mm. we will value the Trump base because the party has become the party of Trump. Right. But at the same time, if he can't save you, well, then we got to find a way to save ourselves. Right. And, and so the question is, then, can you have some distance on certain issues from President Trump? A lot of the Republican orthodoxy, for instance, on trade. Mm hmm has been, hey, we're free traders, and, right. it's, and it's those crazy liberals that, that are trying to stop us from free trade. Well, mm-hmm. now they're kind of like, wait a minute, and even the Democrats are like, well, we don't know. Isn't it interesting, and this is what I think aggravates people so so much, and this is why uh, people will go to certain extreme media outlets, because it does seem as if uh, what happens in Washington is just the two different sides of the same coin, and they just flip it, and then they flip their entire political perspective. It's interesting to see people on MSNBC or CNN hate tariffs all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, oh, they yeah. hate tariffs. Oh, yeah. But if you go back four, five, no. six years ago, they would have loved the and idea. And now some of the Democrats in swing states are saying, yeah, well, wait a second. We appreciate tariffs. The union people. Remember, right. unions That's were saying- That's what Connor Lamb exactly. ran with. Yeah. Unions were saying, hey, NAFTA's not a great deal for us. So all of a sudden, they're Democrats. So, it, it, But Trump is promoting this kind of turbulence, chaos, however you want to say it. And so right. you see all these different permutations on the left and the right, Republican and Democrat, conservative and liberal, in terms of their response. 
But in terms of the politics, either of the wall or the forthcoming midterm, Mm -hmm. what you see at this moment is Republicans thinking, I think it was Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who said this week, we don't know if it's a Category 3, Category 4, Category 5, right? but it looks like a storm's coming for the Republicans. Can you just run anti-Trump, though? No, you can't do that because so many Republicans, I think his approval numbers are still in the high 70s among Republicans. Right. And so the question is, is that party politics of the kind that's like team sport, like team the blue team and the red team, and right. so we're going to be loyal, he's a Republican president. Right. But at what point, and especially... With the evangelical base, do you start to see some deterioration? And you're starting to see that with women. On the other hand, his poll numbers have been inching upward. Yes. Uh, So it's still historically low, but it's a little higher than it was a few months ago. So what do you think now, uh, again, going back to the omnibus bill, Donald Trump not getting what he wanted. He wants to use the Pentagon's budget now for the wall. He's sending our National Guard troops uh, down there as of yesterday. My uh, my girlfriend's brother is in the National Guard. I mean, you know, does he? I don't think he was expecting uh, to go be called <laughs> up for, uh, for active duty there. Uh, where do you think um, Donald Trump, what do you think the plan is with that? And is this, you know, you talk to the left and it's the worst thing that's ever happened. You talk to the right, and it's the best thing. It's going to protect the border. Is our National Guard, do you think they're actually going to be in an enforcement capacity no. or just simply aiding uh, you know, the uh, the agents that are already down there? And what do you think this means politically? Well, this is so interesting to me because so this is the reality behind the show. Right. They do not have the authority to arrest anybody crossing the border. Right. They don't have the authority to even carry weapons, apparently. Yes. Or if they do carry weapons, as I mentioned at the top of the show, no bullets. Right. So it's like when Wayne in Wayne's World went to the camera <laughs> and he's like, there's no film in this camera. <laughs> no. uh, but of course, there was film in that camera, but there won't be any bullets no. so, uh, in these guns. So what is the point? Right. And they, they don't get there for a couple of weeks. But again, I think it's great show. I mean, yeah. and, and here's the pro-Trump argument, and, and I know you're thinking, what is Juan up to if he's making a pro-Trump <laughs> argument? No, that's fine. you got to know both sides. Okay, so the, yeah. the pro-Trump argument is that his rhetoric, it really does act to disincentivize people from thinking, oh, I, I can go to the United States. I could just try to make my way across the border. Right. We're at a historic low in terms of crossings. But some of that you might credit to Donald Trump's rhetoric. Absolutely. There was a psychological wall. Correct. There's That's no what I'm denying saying. that. Uh, of course, the Trump administration, in sort of a bizarre way, was happy with March's number of immigration, uh, with the numbers that came through the last month of March, because they, they did tick up yeah. uh, a little <laughs> bit. And so you know that it's strange that well, Donald Trump was like, perfect, like they're coming the, over. The I have something to talk about. This is like with the caravan. Right. The caravan comes because it was BuzzFeed or somebody did a little story. Yep. Fox and Friends picks it up. Right. The president sees it. It, and then decides the caravan is a threat, a right. threat to America, not knowing, as Ben told you listeners a moment ago, this has been happening for several years and has never constituted a threat. But he found political use right. for the idea that the ca- there, it's like a mob, a, it's, it's a mob scene coming towards us, a herd. Right. But, you know, I also do understand, uh, you know, the middle class people who are just out there trying to make ends meet for their family, like Roseanne, uh, right. for example, which I actually loved. I loved uh, it's a the good show. It was a great. It's a, it's great, a great show, show. now. Yeah. Uh, so I do understand their concerns as well. So um, I guess we just have to find some kind of common ground on these policies. But we'll get to that issue. I want to take a break because I want to have more time with you okay. uh, before uh, at the other end here. I'm Ben Kissel. I'm with The Fives, Juan Williams. So he does many other things than that. Uh, Juan and I will be right back. 
Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. I am honored to be joined by The Fives, Juan Williams. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So let's talk Sanctuary Cities. Let's talk Sanctuary Cities. We've been breaking down the bill for the audience in the past, uh, uh, earlier on in this hour. I want to talk specifically about this uh, idea that police officers can't request immigration status from an individual. And I understand uh, the optics of papers, please. Uh, this goes back to quite a uh, brutal time uh, in world history. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that does handcuff law enforcement in ways that is unfair to them? No. And uh, is that, as we talked about during the break, uh, the idea of resisting arrest is a crime, right? Uh, Officers can literally arrest you or pull you over for nothing, and then you resist, and you say, well, now you've resisted arrest. That's why I'm arresting you. So there are so many ways uh, that the police, if they do want to detain you, they can. Sure. So here's the real thing now. If you are arrested and in jail— you know, let's go back to Kate Steinle and the guy who was who shot her, but yeah. then was found not guilty. And by I disagreed with that verdict 100 percent. OK, so they said whatever about, the, you know, the, the bullet ricocheted. The guy didn't know he had shot the bullet, but clearly wasn't intending to kill anybody. But he was, in fact, a man who had been in and out of the country. I think it was five times. Right. Been around, and the San Francisco police had not notified the federal government that they had him under their custody. Okay. So now the argument is, why doesn't the San Francisco city government notify the feds? Hey, we've got this guy. Mm -hmm. Come get him. Right. Their response was, there was no warrant for his arrest from the federal government, no detainer request from the federal government. Okay. So you're asking local officials, police officials, to do the work of the federal government, and we don't want to do it. But secondly, that we think it's important for... The high number of illegal immigrants in our community to feel that they can talk to the cops without fearing that they're opening the door to immigration officials coming in and deporting them or grandma. Right. Well, that and that is the major concern, as I talked about earlier as well. Uh, do you think with the sanctuary cities, does it bring does it bring uh, people who aren't part of any kind of criminal element? Does it give them uh, the safety to? Talk about someone who might be committing crimes within their uh, community without the risk of deportation themselves. Well, that's the point, I think, and that's why you see some of the police chiefs take this position. The contrary position, though, and this is where I get confused, Ben, so I'm Mm -hmm. interested to hear your thoughts. I think that if you have somebody who's a dangerous character Mm -hmm. and who's an illegal immigrant, why wouldn't you, as a local government, want that person deported? Right. Right. I mean, now we have the situation. So we have what's happening with Jerry Brown. But we also saw. Did you hear what the uh, Oregon governor uh, mentioned uh, today about these about sending the National Guard? Uh, oh, that, down that to she the, might resist. Right? She might resist. What What are the I mean, I'm someone who I think that states unless the, something is so egregious uh, that uh, we have to step in some massive human rights violations, uh, obviously, you know, harkening back to the Civil War, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I'm very states rights. What do you think about a governor saying no to the federal government we're not going to send the national guard aren't they the national guard they're the national guard but let me ask you a question i'm a little confused about this oregon is not on our southern border unless things have shifted in my <laughs> recently so is yes. he also putting troops on the northern border well you know what i've been to canada many canada many times and that's what i'm for yes we, we've had too many canadians coming in here taking the jobs of so many comedians it's not right Robin Williams? Is Robin Williams a, a Canadian? <laughs> no, I don't know. Who is Mike Myers, John Candy. Oh, Mike Myers. Oh, the 70s, it was all Canadian comedians. 
Look at you. Yeah. Self-interest. Taking our jobs. Self-interest. Taking our jobs. What about some of these actresses? Yeah. Sure. I'm telling you, we got to stop it. But anyway, I, is that true? He's going to put troops on the northern border? No, he's not going to put troops on the northern border. I'm assuming this is all going to be sent uh, to the Mexican border. This is actually a tweet from Governor Kate Brown. She says, if real Donald Trump asks me to deploy Oregon uh, Guard troops to Mexico border, I'll say no. Oh, As oh. commander of Oregon's Guard, I'm deeply troubled by Trump's plan to militarize our border, but as you just said, this is what drives me crazy. Militarize? Is it militarized if they don't have any weapons, or if they do, there's no ammo in them? Well, that's why people call it theater. Right. That it's that it will be pictures of the National Guard standing there. But so now she's not objecting because her National Guard would be put on her border with Canada. They'd be no. sent to Mex to the Mexican border. That's yeah. what Now I oh, get of it. Of course, yes, now absolutely. Now I get it. Now I, I was serious. That's what I was asking. Well, but honest, I didn't understand why is the Oregon governor have anything to say about this? The, no, the only thing is in uh, in the if Vancouver, if the if the heroin addicts of Vancouver want to come down, I would say maybe we need a little By bit the of a way, wall. You know but what? that's a whole other issue. The only time that terrorists have tried to come into this country, they came over the. Canadian border. And of course, uh, as I've mentioned many, many times, it's the airports, it's the right. seaports. That's, that's, where, you that's go. where the vast majority of, uh, of drugs uh, and people uh, right. are smuggled in. So I guess we just got like a minute left. Overall, political ramifications. Do you think Donald Trump gets that and Coulter coalition? Do you, do you think this appeases them to some degree? Do you think he's dodged another political bullet? Yeah, I think that I think that apparently you know, just listening to my colleagues on The Five, just picking up some of the conservative magazines, yeah. they're basically making the argument, yeah, we need to stop the make, – make a show of it, and he needs to deliver on his pledge. I still think, from my perspective, where's Mexico? I thought they were supposed to pay for this wall. Yep, absolutely. All right, Juan Williams, thank you so much for ben, joining Ben, my me. pleasure. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine Thursday. Uh, I forgot to mention, go to Facebook, search Fox News Radio, and you'll be able to watch this show streaming uh, live right there. We're going to continue talking about this National Guard situation. Do you think that it's right or do you think it's misguided for Donald Trump to send our National Guard to the southern border? I see we got a phone call here, but first I want to play this clip. This is from Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen. Uh, she is discussing just this issue, deploying the National National Guard. The president has directed that the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security work together with our governors to deploy the National Guard to our southwest border to assist the Border Patrol. The president will be signing a proclamation to that effect today. All right, let's go to the phones in Lake Bluff, Illinois. Adam is on the line. Adam, what do you want to say about this? Well, first of all, welcome in Zuruk in the Zukum. Back to the future. Is... Welcome back, Ben. <laughs> Thank you so hey. much. Was that Klingon? What language was that? No, no, no that was German. That was oh, German. okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, no, because I lived there. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think they should go down there, but they should at least have sidearms, some well, kind of protection. Well, that's... you know, right. they're, they're going to keep people from coming in, but also people from going back. You know, well, how many is there a lot of reverse immigration happening? Folks coming from uh, Honduras and wanting to go back after they see uh, America. Well, no, but with Mexico, because I knew some guys that worked for us at my previous company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, about six, seven years ago, they used to go back every maybe 
uh, two or three years, they used to recross back in. Okay. They were illegal, right? So they used to re- recross back in. Then you got the, you also have uh, this thing is going to bring forth this problem with Jerry Brown. Right. It's going to bring it back to the forefront to see how it's going to pressure him into making a decision. Well, do you think that Governor Jerry Brown has any political incentive whatsoever to reverse course on his immigration policies? Well, from what I hear and also on talk shows, uh, a lot of the people in California really don't want this uh, sanctuary city thing, which should be rephrased as criminal cities and criminal states because they are doing something criminal just by being here in your opinion it is it is criminal so they are then by nature criminal criminal i'm an immigrant you know i'm an you wouldn't know what i went through in 09 just to become a citizen after i'd been in the u.s air force i'd worked overseas i was a government contractor mm-hmm. so why should somebody just walking in get not only get to stay here, which, you know, back in the old days, just getting a green card was a good deal. No, they're getting citizenship. What the hell is that? Well, in that some ways, uh, yeah, thank you. So thank you for the call, Adam. Adam, Lake Bluff, uh, Illinois. I mean, obviously, again, we can't deny the underground economy that has been absolutely needed for a lot of the farmers, a lot of the community that do support uh, Donald Trump, even uh, coal miners to some degree. But again, we have to be rational. We have to be reasonable. Going back uh, to what Adam was talking about regarding legal immigration and regarding some individuals uh, in California or who are not for this, we'll go back to the uh, to the uh, National Guard as well. It all kind of intertwines together. I'm going to play this clip of Tim Swift. Now, he is just a San Diego resident. This is, again, Escondido, California. And this is what he had to say. And if you become an American citizen, then you have a say-so in our politics. We love immigrants but legal immigrants that's all i mean it's that's what our parents did i'm also parents uh, my parents were immigrants but they did it legally all right so we do have to remember uh, it's not all about hate all the time a lot of these conversations get so polarized uh, that we lose sight of the human element in all of this again do you believe it's right for donald trump to send our national guard troops to the southern border. Let's go to Washington, D.C., a man in the thick of things, Reggie. Reggie, thank you so much for calling in. What do you think about this? Hey, Ben. Uh, I think it's a pretty dumb idea. Okay. Uh, I think we could be having our military doing more uh, useful things than this. Mm -hmm. Also, truly, it doesn't seem like our president is making these decisions based off of actual policies or fears because it seems like a lot of double talk. He mm. claims that this we have the lowest number of people coming into the country since he became president. Right. But yet is now saying that we have this crazy amount of threat that these people are coming. Yeah. Uh, well, that, Reggie, that's it's funny you mentioned that. I mentioned that with Juan as well. One of the ironies about the March reports where more immigration, uh, more immigrants did cross over the border. That was probably something, a number that Donald Trump was happy to see. Right. And so it's like. If these efforts are, are, if he is going to claim that these things are already happening under his presidency, then we don't need to be wasting our military's time and effort, let alone wasting a bunch of taxpayer money Mm -hmm. to try to do this just off of the fact that he wants to try to do something or hold the Congress, like, quote unquote, hostage just because he can't get his border funding, which I'm pretty sure he said 
And what made a lot of people vote for him was when he said Mexico was paying for it. Right. They're not actually paying for it, but we're paying for it. Don't you feel like you're kind of being duped? That's how I would feel if I was you. But, you know. <laughs> well, yep, it's it's gone from Mexico to paying for it to uh, to uh, the U.S. government or the, the Congress uh, paying for it. Now all the way up to the Pentagon, uh, they're going to end up paying for it. I, you know what? Who's, we're going to pay for it. <laughs> it's what's going to happen. Thank you, Reggie. Appreciate the call, man. Uh, so, yes, that is the question. Is it right for Donald Trump to send the National Guard, our, our sisters, our brothers, our mothers, uh, and fathers out there to down there rather to the southern border or is it political theater do you think that he would be doing this had the omnibus bill that was just recently passed uh, had it had more of what he wanted in it let's go back to a clip here of Kirsten Nelson uh, again or Nielsen rather she is the Homeland Security Secretary uh, this is what she said at a recent White House briefing we do hope that the deployment uh, begins immediately. Uh, I will be continuing to have conversations with the governors today. As you know, it's done through a memorandum of agreement. So we're working with all haste uh, to agree on that. Uh, so we hope to, we've specified out the missions where we need support. They include everything from aerial surveillance to some of the support functions. Okay, so uh, Reggie posed a great question. Uh, how much is this going to cost? In what was dubbed Operation Jumpstart, this this took place uh, under George W. Bush. And again, this is not outside the realm of of, uh, of sanity, right? Because a lot of former presidents have done this. Again, does it work or is it more political theater? In what was dubbed Operation Jumpstart, uh, 6,000 National Guard troops were sent to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And how much did that cost? They were there from June 06 to July 2008. So just uh, just over two years there. $1.2 billion. $1.2 billion to send 6,000 National Guard troops to, the, to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And the thing is... No one's actually armed, or there's no bullets in these guns. Is it worth that cost just for a political win? Let's go back to Los Angeles, ground zero for this conversation, specifically on Sanctuary Cities. Maurice is on the line. Maurice, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, Ben. Look, I'm a liberal, Uh but I believe that we should secure our border. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't like the idea of defense, and I really don't like the idea of the National Guard, but okay. how many choices do we have? How well, many choices? You know, it's interesting, and this is, again, why a lot of people get so upset with the way that we talk about politics. Let's not forget, Obama was called deporter-in-chief for a reason. Now, at that point, uh, Obama was deporting more people than any other president uh, in history. So why do you think, uh, as a liberal, how would you—what's what what what's the liberal argument, in your opinion, for securing the southern border? The liberal argument for securing it? I would just say this. We, you know, the liberals want to vote for. That, that's all this is about. Everybody's fighting for votes. Right. So we, we want the liberal vote, and yeah, we, we want to be compassionate or merciful towards people. But we have to remember there is laws. And for a long time, we haven't been following the laws. Mm-hmm. And now things have gotten out of hand, and people have kind of got frustrated. So I think we just got to get a grip on everything, you know, on, on immigration. Yeah. And then we can go from there. But we just got to stop it. We got to slow it down. Mm -hmm. We got to follow the law. And then 
go from there. Interesting perspective. A liberal in Los Angeles, interested to hear your thoughts, Maurice, especially now here just on SB 54, uh, the Sanctuary City Bill. Did you Were you happy when you saw that passed, or were you kind of, um, uh, it, did it come as a surprise? It's kind of a surprise, but we're in a situation here in California. I don't know about other states, mm-hmm. but when you come here, we, we love everybody. Mm-hmm. I, that's not an issue in California. We're like, but we have to get control and we have to follow the law. I mean, that's pretty much it. All it's right. Follow the law and we'll be all right. Thank you, Maurice. Appreciate the perspective. Appreciate the call. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. And I love those calls that we get uh, where you have someone who is on the left or someone who is on the right who also uh, believes that certain policies, whether they come from the right or the left, should be implemented. When people can look outside of their own political bias and say, well, you know what, despite the fact that I might not be a Trump supporter or uh, perhaps Obama supporter or whatever it might be, that policy uh, makes sense to me. Individual critical thinking. we got to get back to that in this country. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, and we will come back and we'll continue this conversation throughout well, at least a, c- a couple more minutes here. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. And remember my opening remarks at Trump Tower when I opened. Everybody said, oh, he was so tough. And I used the word rape. And yesterday it came out where this journey coming up, women are raped at levels that nobody's ever seen before. They don't want to mention that. So... We have to change our laws. That was Donald Trump earlier today. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Ben Kissel here with you. We're discussing uh, the policy put forward by the administration to send our National Guard troops to the southern border, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. What are your thoughts on that? Also, I was looking up Jerry Brown, Governor Jerry Brown's approval rating after uh, signing the Sanctuary City Bill, SB 54. He's at around 44 uh, percent. That was in November after he signed that November of last year. So it does seem as if there was definitely some political blowback. Let's go to Memphis. Walt is on the phone. Walt, what do you think the uh, what do you think about the idea of sending our National Guard down to the southern border. Uh, how you doing, Dave, Ben? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Just fine. Man, good. I don't know, Ben. I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, for the optics, just, just can imagine if something happens when them kids, you know, they get a picture of uh, one of our soldiers pointing a gun to ask Dylan or something, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, you mentioned that. That that sort of harkens back to a memory I have of Alien Gonzalez, right? Going back to Florida there where he had the, the huge uh, military-grade weapon pointed at this kid's face. In the closet, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, man. That, that, that's what I'm looking at right there, man. And, you know, it's going to go all around the world, man, and I don't know how that would end up being. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. So we're talking optics here, and you think it could be a net negative for Donald Trump, huh? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right there besides that there, you know. I mean, what what can they do? They they really can't participate in uh, uh, hustling down the uh, immigrants, can they? Right. No, they can't. They're not allowed to arrest, detain, or obviously, again, use their weapons. Thank you, Walt. Appreciate the call. Love, love Memphis. Beautiful place. Uh, All right, let's uh, let's stick right here in New York. Harlem, Tyrone is on the phone. Uh, Thank you so much for calling in, man. What do you want to say about this? 
Yeah, Ben. We we keep continuing to, to look for a quick fix mm-hmm. for the problems that we have in this country. And there's, there's certain things that we're not going to fix quickly, and right. we have to work at it. And I think we've gotten away from the fact that Sometimes we have to do hard work in this country to solve our problems, and we don't we don't want to do hard work anymore. We're right. afraid of it, you know. We're afraid to have to actually get our hands dirty on certain things. We know what we have uh, to Tyrone, do. Tyrone, I'm interested. Are you talking? Are you talking politically? Or are you talking literally? Like, hey, Americans, if you don't want immigrants taking your jobs, go do those jobs that the immigrants are filling uh, that are filling. Uh, exactly, and that's. If, if the employees are hiring these people and they, you mm. know they're not supposed to, they have to pay. They have to pay the price for breaking the laws of this country. You know, it's so interesting, and, and I I do have a lot of sympathy for uh, for folks trying to make ends meet. I wonder if the rise of automation, obviously, that's going to be massive. That's going to be very lucrative for these corporations. I wonder if these immigrants are a little bit of a scapegoat for what's going on with the rise of automation. It, it, and it could be, and yeah. and and it's at the is is causing us the the American public so much, and we don't even see that we're getting that that we're getting the short end of the stick because mm-hmm. we're attacking the immigrants and not realizing that the employers are they're looking to make you know to to, to make their bottom line a lot more fuller. You know, yeah. they're, they're looking to make money, absolutely, and at whatever expense it takes, whether. I have to take my job and send it overseas so that I can pay somebody pennies on a dollar right. and not have to pay an employer. Yeah. I have somebody come here and work from dawn to dusk and right. work for not even half of what they would have yeah. to pay an American. No overtime. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so now here we are, we going after the immigrants, right. not realizing that we can deal with that. We can deal with the immigrants. All we have to do is follow the law. Right. With with this with them hiring them, mm-hmm. and we could deal with them receiving you know the public assistance. Right. We could deal with them. Thank you, Tyrone. Appreciate the call, my man. Harlem, New York, beautiful, beautiful place. You know, it's interesting with the rise of automation. A lot of the jobs. I was just watching a, a clip of this new uh, farm tool that can it shakes all the trees. And I'm very low educated when it comes to farm work, so I'm just saying it's a it's a truck that shakes all the trees, puts them onto a uh, onto a sheet. And it's able to really do the job, I mean, of dozens and dozens and dozens of workers. So now we have a situation where we do have an influx of immigrants because they were filling a vacuum uh, that was created by big industry so they could get cheap labor. And now those immigrants are going to be unemployed because they will lose their jobs to automation. What do they do? And this goes back to the last time I was hosting the show when we talked about a basic universal wage. Now we live in a nation where 40 percent of, uh, no, as a matter of fact, it was 48 percent of Americans think that we might have to have a basic universal uh, income because there just isn't going to be any jobs. So it's a two-pronged problem, and uh, I, I got to agree with all the callers so far. We have to face this thing head on, and the question is, is it smart to just send the National Guard down to the southern border? We'll keep the conversation going. Stay on the line. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Well, that brings you back, doesn't it? Brings you back to last week because Roseanne back on the air. Season 10, the opener 
was the largest total viewership ever. Uh, the sitcom season 10 opener has scored TV's largest ever total viewership and didn't drop very much in the uh, second and third episodes. As a matter of fact, the show The Middle should be thanking Roseanne because she catapulted that show to season high uh, ratings as well. However, there is some controversy here. Of course, controversy isn't necessarily uh, outside of uh, Roseanne Barr's wheelhouse. Of course, we, we can recall when she sang uh, the second worst national anthem next to Fergie's at the uh, All-Star Game for the NBA. If you haven't heard Fergie's national anthem, I say this with all love because I actually thought Fergie was going for it. And, of course, Roseanne got into a little bit of trouble back in the day uh, singing at the uh, at a baseball event where then she grabbed her crotch and so on and so forth. Uh, but going back to what I talked about at the top of the show, I have to say, man, I, I don't quite get the, uh, the rage. I, I thought the show really depicted American families honestly. And if we can't have the conversation of why somebody voted for a certain person, then we're not going to understand them and we're just going to continue to have these isolated political enclaves that seem to be theoretically tearing apart families. The relationship between Roseanne and Jackie. Jackie, uh, if you haven't seen her, uh, if you haven't seen uh, the show, she's uh, you know just totally pro Hillary now, although she does drop a very funny line uh, in, I believe it was episode two, maybe episode one, where she talks about how she voted for Jill Stein, uh, which is, of course, kind of an inside joke. Jill Stein, who I've met many times, uh, ran with the Green Party and, of course, Roseanne, former president with the Green Party as well. So perhaps a little dig there. But I want to play this clip of Rob Reiner, a legend in his own right, who I've interviewed before. He was on MSNBC, and this is what he had to say about about the reboot of Roseanne. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. This is Rob Reiner on MSNBC. You have Fox News and, and Sinclair and Breitbart and uh, Infowars and all of this, uh, which used to be considered and thought of as uh, the, you know, the lunatic fringe, if you will, have now become mainstream media. You have the star of the show essentially outside the show uh, trumpeting all of the things that Donald Trump uh, stands for. So now we have a situation where the left is upset uh, with Roseanne, but I recall the right being quite upset uh, with Roseanne. Uh, when it first launched uh, back in the 90s, a lot of people thought that her embrace of uh, of gay marriage or gay rights or gay individuals in general was unbelievable, inflammatory. How dare you have this in our living rooms? And you can tell the sign of a good artist if everyone is upset with them at some point. And I think Roseanne now angering the left is um, – I don't understand how it is angering uh, the left because I feel as if they do a great job of sort of bringing in all the character types, all kind of folks from all different walks of life. Uh, of course, I believe it's it, uh, Christine. Is it Darlene's son? Right. That's it's Darlene's kid. He he likes to dress a little bit feminine. So Dan, of course, just being an everyday middle uh, middle class dude, is a little bit taken aback that his son or that his grandson likes to dress in a more feminine in ways. Some people were upset um, with his reaction to him. However, uh, I thought that he tried to handle that situation that a lot of families are trying to handle with as much love and compassion as a grandfather can have. So let's play a clip here. This will just be kind of a montage of some of the jokes we've heard on Roseanne so far. You do that, honey? <laughs> My grandson's nails are wet. I like your nail polish. 
Grandpa? That's drywall, son. Every one of you wrapping yourselves up in the flag and clinging to your guns. Oh, that's such a stereotype. Oh. <laughs> where are you going? I just realized we got kids in the house and I can't remember where we hid our gun. <laughs> Funny story. Our insurance don't cover what it used to, so I got half the drugs for twice the price. <laughs> So there we go, uh, dealing with real-world issues that I don't believe a lot of shows have addressed, and certainly not to uh, the extent that this reboot of Roseanne has expressed. Let's go to the phones in Madison, Ohio. John is on the line. John, uh, what do you think about the reboot of Roseanne? I love it. I was a fan of Roseanne back in the ancient days when we used horse and carriages. Yep, yeah, I know. I remember. I was in the back of one of those. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about you all know, the that, outrage? I, I really watched this and, you know, I try. I, I was reading social media, which is Outrage Central, and all these people were telling me that it was the most conservative nonsense. But I actually think all sides were very evenly represented. Here's the issue, Ben. I remember watching Roseanne and seeing her on her Twitter accounts and she had millions of followers. But the moment they found out she did vote for Donald Trump, she lost her fan base. Some of it. And now a lot of these fans are starting to want, I mean, a lot of the people on the left are starting to want to boycott. And then remember that article put out by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the greatest, one of the greatest basketball players ever? Yep. Honestly, I don't give a tinker's damn what these people think, okay? You know, one of the things about comedy, uh -huh. Mel Brooks, remember, remember the great, great Mel Brooks? Of course. He did Blazing Saddles. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and stuff like that. You know, he couldn't be on, he couldn't put that stuff out today. But a lot of the things, a lot of these comedians where they're not trying to be political and swing to the left and stuff like that, what they do, you know, I think, yeah, you're a comedian too. What you try to do is you try to make people come to the table. And that's what Roseanne Barr is trying to do. But mm -hmm. honestly, Ben, you know, both sides right now are so divisive. They don't really care to talk. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? I hear you, brother. I hear what you're saying. Thanks so much for the call, man. Uh, John in Madison. Ohio. Let's play this joke. Exactly what uh, John was talking about. Come to the table. Have this conversation. I think the tit for tat, specifically between Jackie and Roseanne, is just absolutely indicative of what's happening uh, across this country. But they're having it together and they're working through both of their issues to understand uh, why each other hold the political views they have. This is that fight. How could you have voted for him, Roseanne? He talked about jobs, Jackie. He said he'd shake things up. I mean, this might come as a complete shock to you, but we almost lost our house the way things are going. Have you looked at the news? Because now things are worse. Not on the real news. <laughs> oh, please! So a perfect example of, uh, of both of them uh, getting to uh, make their political points heard and not killing one another, which is what's happening right now. I want to go to my producer, Christine. I know that you've watched it, and Max as well. Let's talk to you as well. Uh, what do you think about, first of all, the outrage? Which it's a, At the end of the day, even if you hate it, it's still just a comedy. Everything will be okay. What do you think about the outrage, and what did you actually think about the show? Because I know you're a little bit more—you're much more conservative than I am in a lot of ways. I am, but I, I have to say I was surprised because I feel like so many people that I've spoken to every time I talk about this say, "Oh, it was awful." It was so refreshing when you I came was, in here. It was funny. I thought you were going to say it was terrible. We got to talk about that. So it was nice to actually hear someone say it was really good. I thought Max and I watched it together last week. I thought it was really, really funny. Well, the jokes are tight. They're nonstop. And again, what shows can you think of a show uh, that that depicts middle class Americans the way that, that Roseanne did? 
or that that she does. I, I was talking about this last week. I was saying that it was actually really refreshing. I I grew up. Um, not poor, but definitely not wealthy. I grew up on the horse farm in New Jersey. Right. And, you know, it was, like, nice to watch the Connors and know that there was, like, money. Because, like, you know, I grew up where in the town that I lived, it was very wealthy, but we were not. And, right. you know, I was always hearing about my parents. They didn't hide it from me and my sister, you know, money troubles or this or that. Right. And it was always something in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to see that as a family. Like, you know, when, remember they would talk about, like, we should pay this bill this month and we'll pay that next month. And yep. send the bills to the Different wrong places. addresses. Yeah. So, you yep. know, it was, it was so funny. Yeah, especially, you know, on the heels of uh, just what was going on in the 80s. And, uh, you know, the the 90s were an era, uh, an era of, like, embracing realness. At least that's my personal opinion if you listen to a lot of the music grunge and things like that it wasn't uh miami vice and everyone doing blow when everyone is dressed like they're you know super wealthy and all that stuff it really was an era some might think it's a little bit sad but it was honest you know the only thing i have to say about that was friends was so not honest none of them none of them would have been able to live in any of those apartments not to mention you know how difficult it is to keep a duck alive in an an apartment in new york city no i have said this before out here i don't i would not i'm not a friends fan uh but of course everyone uh many people were so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna malign the great television show uh friends 877-367-2526 877-367-2526 what do you think about the reboot of roseanne let's play some more jokes here and jackie thinks every girl should grow up and be president even if they're a liar liar pantsuit on fire <laughs> I think we know who's a liar and who's on fire, Roseanne. That's what I'm talking about, the tit for tat. They're going at each other. No one is backing down. Roseanne isn't dominating uh, this conversation. Jackie is right along uh, there uh, with the comedy, with the comebacks, and certainly, um, uh, I think, a accurate depiction of a lot of the anger in this case, specifically, women feel when it comes to Donald Trump. I mean, we cannot understate how controversial the 2016 election was. And I think a lot of people, it was a big gut punch uh, when Donald Trump won. And I don't think you would see movements. I don't think the Me Too movement would necessarily happen. Obviously, the Women's March uh, would not be happening uh, if Hillary Clinton would have won. There was so much anger, so much uh, rage. And uh, we're seeing that manifest itself now on the streets all across uh, the country. Here's another Roseanne joke. First, let's say grace. Jackie, would you like to take a knee? (laughs) Dear Lord, thank you for this food and for bringing our son DJ home safe from Syria. Please protect his wife, Gina, and all our troops still overseas. Please watch over our son, Jerry, who's on that stupid fishing boat where apparently they don't get phone calls. But most of all, Lord, thank you for making America great again. The thing with this is I actually think that doesn't make to me. That's that is exactly what so many people have done that voted for Trump. They'll rub it in your face. And that's exactly uh, what Roseanne is up to. All right. We can go out on this. I mentioned the Jill Stein joke. So we'll just take this to break and we'll come right back. You kept saying what a disaster it would be if she got elected and how I wasn't seeing the big picture and how everything was rigged. And then I go into the booth and I voted for Jill Stein. (laughs) Who's Jill Stein? Some doctor. You did such a good job of making me doubt myself and feel so stupid that I choked, which helped get him elected. 
What's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. 877-367-2526. We've talked about a lot of stuff here today. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, you can watch this show streaming live on that platform. You can watch a lot of stuff on Facebook. Uh, not all of it's the best. However, this show certainly is. So go to Facebook and search Fox News Radio and you can watch this show live. Mark Zuckerberg has come under some attacks, specifically when it comes to Facebook's role in the 2016 election. How much misinformation, how much disinformation was spread on Facebook, on Twitter, these social media platforms? Obviously, a lot. I do want to dispel one of the rumors, however, one of the common conversations that happens regarding bots. Uh, there's a great article in sciencemag.com about how People, not bots, actually disseminate 10 times more misinformation than bots. A true news story will be retweeted, liked, faved, all that kind of stuff by um, a thousand people. That's who will look at a true st true story, uh, something that's actually newsworthy. A thousand people will see them. If it's a salacious story, something that might have a misleading title, something that might uh, buy or play into confirmation bias, 10,000 uh, individuals on average would see an article like that. So it is people, not bots, that are the ones, and it was three-fourths of uh, the, the misinformation was spread again by people, not bots, that are really the major culprits of this spread of disinformation. Mark Zuckerberg, I think Facebook has done a hellacious job of protecting us. Of course, if you look at the Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, I mean, we're talking millions and millions of uh, pieces of data here, really human lives uh, that were just exposed uh, to marketers and to the uh, to the uh, to the web in general, and that is the entire point of Facebook. It was marketed as a as a phone book, basically, uh, with pictures. And what it does is collect your data, look at your spending habits, look at your links that you go to, look at your likes, look at your posts, and deduces what personality you have, what political affiliation you have, and then markets accordingly. That's why we talk about bubbles, enclaves. Does it seem like it's gotten worse? Yes. And why has it gotten worse? Because it is created that way. That is a structure that was created by Schmuckerberg. That's what I call him because I'm very clever. Mark Zuckerberg, that was all designed. And we have to be aware of that. Uh, and I think people are becoming more aware of that. Mark Zuckerberg was asked regarding Facebook and, uh, and disinformation, misinformation that was being spread via his platform. Here's some of his response. It's clear now that we didn't do enough. When you're building something like Facebook, there are going to be things that you mess up. And if we'd gotten this right, we would have messed something else up. Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, he's worth $62 billion, and he is making that money by selling you. Mark Zuckerberg continued on talking about uh, the idea that Facebook influenced the election. And again, I'm not even blaming Russian bots or Russian trolls or bots in general. People did this. The idea that... Uh, you know, fake news on Facebook influenced the, the election in any way, I think, is a, a pretty crazy idea. Uh, Mike, Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, he makes four million bucks a day. So there you go. As you struggle to make ends meet and you're complaining uh, on a platform, uh, keep in mind the platform was created by someone who is now making four 
million dollars a day. And the idea that Mark Zuckerberg refuses to take any kind of responsibility, I think, does show a lack of character, a lack of intellectual honesty. You can't claim that your platform has no power and then tout it as a powerful platform. There is a reason why companies um, advertise on Facebook. If it didn't work, no one would be there. No, no companies would be advertising on it. Uh, Instagram is the same way. It's funny because I actually got rid of my Facebook. Uh, if you see me on Facebook Live, I'm, I, they call me lazy. I, if you get off of Facebook, they shoot you emails and call you lazy. Meanwhile, you're actually living your life being busy. Uh, so I go to Instagram. Of course, it's owned by uh, Zuckerberg and the whole crew. So I'm not exactly rebellious here. But nonetheless, I think Facebook as a platform uh, has been corrupted by a lot of negativity and, again, is not a proper depiction of uh, reality. And that's going back to the conversation we just had with about Roseanne. That's why Roseanne, I think, was so refreshing because it both people's bubbles were being burst on a regular basis and the family unit was still together and there was still an undercurrent of love. We'll play this clip here of Zuckerberg saying uh, Facebook can do a better job. How can you ever fully reassure users that their information isn't going to be used in a way that they don't expect? We can certainly do a better job of explaining what we actually do. The vast majority of the data uh, that, that Facebook knows about you is because you chose to share it. Hey, how are you, everyone? Ben Kissel here with you. What a great show it's been so far. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the tariffs. Larry Kudlow, of course, replacing Gary Cohn as a chief economic advisor to Donald Trump, has certainly been busy defending Donald Trump's proposed tariffs. There's a lot of uh, a lot of perhaps unintended consequences here coming from uh, these tariffs. For example, televisions, they might see a bump. You might be paying more for your TV as a potential trade war with the Chinese seems to be intimate, uh, intimate uh, <laughs> seems to be uh, just absolutely uh, coming down. Uh, the pipe here. Of course, Xi Jinping out of China, he just made himself a leader for life. So he can wait out the Trump administration. Theoretically, uh, the next administration would most likely change gears. Let's play Larry Kudlow here talking on Varney. By the way, I'll be on Neil Cavuto's show on Fox Business around noon or perhaps the one o'clock hour. So make sure uh, you check that out. We often talk uh, tariffs there. On that show, here is Larry uh, Kudlow on Varney talking about how there is no trade war. But do you think that that's true? 877-367-2526, 877-367-2526. What are your thoughts on these tariffs? Do you think it's going to end up hurting the country overall? Or do you think, uh, given what China has done specifically uh, when it comes to intellectual property rights, which there is a massive issue there, that's a bipartisan uh, concern. China oftentimes, I was talking to an individual uh, the other day who makes uh, nuts and bolts. And uh, it was at a wedding this past, uh, well, I guess two Saturdays ago now. And uh, again, it's 50 times more companies when it comes to steel, for example, that rely on steel but don't produce steel. So perhaps the producers of steel uh, might see uh, might see some uh, positive economic gains, but those people who have to buy said steel will not. And this person uh, who makes nuts and bolts was very concerned that his company in Ohio might be going going out of business because of a potential trade war, if the trade war does really uh, become as 
horrible as it potentially could be. Here is Larry Kudlow. And again, an interesting position coming from uh, that Larry Kudlow has to defend coming from someone like Larry Kudlow, who was against tariffs for the longest time. Obviously, as I mentioned a couple of shows ago, W tried this uh, in his administration. He wanted, I believe it was a four or five year tariff. It only lasted, uh, you know, a few months, much less than he actually wanted, because folks uh, saw it just simply was not working. Here's Larry Kudlow. There's no trade war here. What you've got is the early stages of a process that will include tariffs, comments on the tariffs, then ultimate decisions and negotiations. There's already back-channel talks going on. So look, I understand the stock market's anxiety. I get that. But on the other hand, uh, don't overreact. And here is Larry Kudlow again. And this was really kind of his job. This was something that Gary Cohn, I don't believe, was capable of doing because he simply did not like these tariffs. He did not like this idea. He stuck with Donald Trump through all the ups and downs of his first year and uh, and change of a presidency. But when it came to tariffs and when it came to Donald Trump, sort of unbeknownst to everybody around him, announcing said tariffs, Gary Cohn just had enough. Larry Kudlow came in to fill the void. And again, this is interesting for Kudlow to have to defend this policy. Let's continue on hearing from him. This sure sounds like a trade war to me. What do you think? No, I don't think it's a trade war. I, I think there's going to be intense negotiations on both sides. But mm -hmm. look, when you look at this whole picture, blame China. Don't blame President Trump. Trump's the solution. I mean, for all these years. You think this is the solution, Larry? <laughs> well, look, I think for all these years, China has had unfair and illegal trading practices, Neil. And I think the rest of the world knows that. So he's on Kudlow. Uh, Kudlow, rather, is on Cavuto and Varney, really trying to sell this plan uh, to the American people. And again, I will be on Cavuto tomorrow at noon or one o'clock. So be sure you tune into Fox Business uh, for that. It's always fun. Neil Cavuto, by the way, I just think he's one of the most um, intellectually honest people on television news. When he agrees with the president, he says so. But when he disagrees, he also says so. And I know some people, uh, they call him disparaging names for that, but he, he holds true uh, to his economic principles, and I think we can give him a lot of credit for that. Larry Kudlow continues here. This is back to Varney talking about uh, concrete and things like that. These are just the first proposals, okay? In the United States, at least, um, we're putting it out for comment. It's going to take a couple months. Uh, I doubt if there'll be any concrete actions for several months. We'll see how that plays out. Nothing concrete has actually happened. These are proposals, but the message is clear talking about if it's a concrete idea or, again, is this just a Donald Trump, uh, you know, trying to uh, throw a touchdown pass here and hopefully he can get a couple of yards uh, down the field? I mean, who really knows? Let's continue on with Larry Kudlow. I think we're going to come to agreements. I personally, my view, I believe that the Chinese will back down and will play ball. I also think President Trump has a good relationship with President Xi. There's a lot going on here other than just, you know, some tariffs on agriculture, which I don't like. Nobody likes it. But maybe that's what it takes. This could really hurt some of those uh, farmers and people like that who might have supported Donald Trump. Soybean prices have already uh, gone up. 
uh, who knows? 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. As I mentioned earlier regarding televisions, President Trump and the Chinese government now, they are doubling down on their heated trade dispute. The world's two largest economies are threatening to impose tariffs on a broad range of each other's imported goods in a way that experts say could ultimately hit consumers' wallets. Uh, certainly not a good time for that to occur. If you look at what's happening there with the 2018 midterms, I'm sure there are a lot of Republicans who wish Donald Trump could have held off just a little while longer on his proposed tariff idea. One popular product that may face a tariff, televisions. The Trump administration's proposal would slap a 25% tariff on them if they are imported to the United States from China. Here's a look at why flat screen TVs are on the White House's tariff list and how their prices could be affected if the two sides don't agree on a deal. The Trump administration says that China has stolen intellectual property, which again is bipartisan agreed. They have done that from an American from American companies and also forced US firms to share their technology with Chinese partners. The costly levies are designed to push China to abandon these practices. One way to do that is by targeting televisions, which are not as essential as our clothes or uh, phones. Although, you know, TVs, that's where people go to feel community. You know, that's where people go to feel as if they have a, a base, have a, have a group of friends. You know, that's why uh, television, whether it be if you're watching Netflix, Roku, or basic uh, cable, whatever it might be, there's a reason it's so popular. And that's because it connects people to a society, to cultures, and uh, into individuals so that then they do not feel like they're alone in this world. So they're not essential, but they are in some ways. It will represent billions of dollars in imports and would hurt Chinese producers of the 41.5 million televisions exported to the United States last year, about 47% were imported from China. Now, that's according to a fellow, Bob O'Brien, president of Display Supply Chain Consultants, which is a market research firm in the display industries. Big name brands such as Japan Sony and Korea-based Samsung and LG work with Chinese manufacturers or have subsidiaries in China where TVs are assembled and then shipped to the the United States. This is according to a blog post by Bob O'Brien. He says the value of TVs uh, imported from China last year totaled four billion bucks, which would be subject to Trump's tariffs. So TV makers who export their products from China to the United States would have to pay one billion dollars. Uh, this is according to Edward Allen, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. He says the goals of these retaliation lists is to maximize economic pain on the other country and minimize the pain for your own country. He goes on to say TVs fit that pretty well because they are alternative sources of supply. This goes on. If if you put 25% tariff on televisions, that's a billion dollars worth of tariffs that eventually goes through to be paid by us, the consumers. Last year, the average cost of a 55-inch television in North America was about 559 bucks. That's according to Paul Gagnon, an analyst with the data firm IHS Market. If the full cost of the tariff is passed on to consumers, people look to purchase a new TV, they would pay about 100 and $40 more. 
$140 more. That is a significant amount of money. And I know you don't need a TV every year or every two years, uh, but things happen. And uh, that when people start to see a price, uh, you know, uh, like that at the uh, at the supermarket, at Walmart, uh, wherever you might be going to purchase a television, that's going to have some very negative effects on society and on uh, Donald Trump specifically when it comes to people trying to make ends meet who are out there trying to purchase a television and they see them uh, being so highly priced. There's a possibility that TV manufacturers could avoid the full cost of the levy. This is, again, according to Bob O'Brien. Companies could start assembling more of their TVs in Mexico, which already accounts for 44% of American television imports, which are duty-free under the NAFTA rules. Manufacturers could also build production plants in the United States. In those cases, consumers may not absorb the full effects of the tariffs compared with last year's 559 average cost for a 55-inch set in the United States. The same size TV in 2012 cost 1200 bucks. TV prices have fallen because of the intense competition, boosted manufacturing cap uh, capacity, and huge economies of scale. I'm just wondering... And going back to the conversation we had a little bit earlier regarding illegal immigration, if they do start to build more televisions here, how many of those factories are going to be filled with people? I feel like this is a situation where automation, again, they might be bringing some jobs, but I wouldn't be surprised if the vast majority of these facilities will be run by automation. So does it actually lead to the jobs that Donald Trump is promising? We'll go to break here with Larry Kudlow saying, don't blame, uh, blame China rather, not Donald Trump. Blame China, not President Trump, because they've been going on for many years. Trump is really the first president to fight back and to uh, put a shot across the bow that stealing intellectual property rights, technology transfers, uh, high barriers, investment limitations, high tariffs. This stuff is really um, not just unfair, it's unlawful. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Uh, coming up a little bit later on in this hour, we're going to have Brooke Rogers on to talk about her recent article regarding Walmart pulling Cosmopolitan magazine. She's the letters editor at the New York Post. Uh, first, we've got some breaking news here. We're discussing the tariffs. Donald Trump has escalated the trade war with $100 billion in proposed new Chinese tariffs. This is right off the presses here. President Trump is upping the ante in his high-stakes trade dispute with China, proposing $100 billion in additional tariffs on Chinese goods, in addition to the $50 billion in tariffs put forward just two days ago. The move comes a day after China responded in the back-and-forth trade war by matching uh, Trump's proposed tariffs with $50 billion bucks of its own, targeting small aircraft and soybeans. And as I said earlier, soybeans are raising in price. And late Thursday, Trump countered with instructions to U.S. Trade Representatives uh, Robert Lighthizer to consider using the authority under the Trade Act of 1974 to take additional actions against Chinese products. Do you think that, uh, are you happy with this? That's the question, 877-367-2526. Call in now if you want to talk about this. We only have a few more minutes on this subject. In the light of China's unfair, this is according to a statement put out 
this evening by Donald Trump. It says, in light of China's unfair retaliation, I have instructed the USTR to consider whether $100 billion of additional tariffs would be appropriate under Section 301, and if so, to identify the products upon which to impose such tariffs. Trump's direct directive merely begins the process of instituting sanctions, which begins with a 30-day review period in which the White House will seek public comments on the proposal. Still, the actions have raised fears of a wide-ranging trade war that could impact agriculture, manufacturing, and technology sectors. Trump's new economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, who we just heard before the break, he's out there, he's defending Donald Trump to the best of his ability. Again, it's interesting he's able to do so because he has not traditionally uh, been a fan of tariffs. Trump's new economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, tried to reassure jittery markets yesterday that Trump was only making plans to protect U.S. products, not firing the first salvos in a trade war. This is according to um, Fox Business Today. There is a process here, according to Kudlow. There's a process here. There's going to be a back and forth. Uh, but there's also some negotiations. We may talk about that. But that's the that. But that's the key point. Kudlow said previous presidents had complained about China's unfair trade practices, but Trump was quote the first guy with a backbone in decades to do something about it. Uh, quote at least preliminary actions. Trump also said he instructed Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue to, quote, to use his broad authority to implement a plan to protect our farmers and agricultural interests. So breaking news, Donald Trump ups the ante $100 billion in proposed new Chinese tariffs. And again, with agriculture, with that farming community, uh, he has proposed a plan to protect them. Will that work? Or do the farmers still get the brunt of the ramifications of these tariffs? You know, as I mentioned with Juan Williams in the 7 o'clock, or was it 6 o'clock hour, Eastern Standard Time, rather, it's interesting to see a Republican president Impose tariffs. I mean, this is not necessarily a Republican ideal by any stretch of the imagination, as a matter of fact. Uh, they tout uh, the free market. Uh, they talk about the benefits of uh, said free market, how it pushes the price of goods down so that the everyday consumer can purchase those things. And now, as I mentioned before the break, we're going to potentially see an increase in products such as your television. I mean, it could go up 140 bucks, which is a significant amount of money, specifically on the heels of the Republican tax plan, where they're touting you're going to see more money uh, in your paycheck. Well, if, if products go up, then does it even really matter if the tariffs take a, a, the negative effect that some economic individuals or some economic experts believe it will? Does that just eradicate some of the benefits uh, that you may have gotten from the tax cut? It's all coming during a midterm election year. My goodness gracious. All right. I am Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. I want to talk about this now. Uh, we'll be joined by Brooke Rogers here in a moment. She's the author behind the opinion piece in the New York Post, Hiding Cosmo is No Win 
for hashtag me too. The article talks about Walmart uh, announcing that they would be removing Cosmopolitan magazines from its checkout lines after years of pressure from anti-porn groups, which is interesting, 877-367-2526. But in cheering the move as a blow for women in the age of me too, instead of reasonably applauding its removal from children's view, advocates missed the point and risk diluting the very important focus on sexual assault. That's according, again, to the article here in um, in the New York Post written by Brooke Rogers. Uh, what do you think about this? Do you think that Cosmopolitan Magazine does have a negative impact on women in general? And do you think that it's appropriate uh, to uh, tie it to the Me Too movement, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I'll go back to the article. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation, formerly Morality in Media, so it was formerly known as Morality in media, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation has been com- campaigning against Cosmo for years, saying it, quote, further desensitizes young women and girls to accept and participate in the pornified and sexually violent culture around them. In a statement, again, going back here to the New York Post article, in a statement after Walmart's decision, the group's executive uh, director, Don Hawkins, said, this is what real change looks like in our Me Too culture. She added that the mag places women's values primarily on their ability to sexually satisfy a man and therefore plays into the same culture where men view and treat women as inanimate sex objects. What do you think about that? 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. The article goes on to say, Cosmo is, at least in large part, a sex guide a modern-day Kama Sutra specifically for women. Uh, it's known for, this is this is the words of Brooke Rogers, it's known for its saucy, often laughable, laughably unrealistic sex tips aimed at women who like to get creative with household items and don't necessarily mind repurposing a spatula. So, of course, Cosmopolitan Magazine, uh, you know, they do get out there. They do uh, have a lot of salacious headlines, a lot of salacious stories. Uh, But the question is, should it be tied uh, to the Me Too movement? Uh, You can love it. You can hate it. I don't particularly like it. This is, again, according to Brooke Rogers, uh, who is right here. She'll be coming in. She's on the 18th floor right now. Uh, Cosmo is at least in large part a sex guide. Again, a modern day Kama Sutra. You can love it. You can hate it. I don't particularly like it, she says. You can laugh at the gaudy headlines and the variety of synonyms uh, for getting it on. But ultimately, it's dishonest to pretend the magazine is convincing women that they're pleasure machines. For men, this is especially true more recently over the past year. Men were rarely mentioned in headlines. Articles on male pleasure are less prominent, though still featured. Yet they are far outnumbered by those focused on women. Their careers, bodies, emotions, sexual experiences, the magazine by Women for Women is boasted all female editors since Helen Gurley Brown in 1965, who was an early, albeit imperfect, champion of female sexuality. So we're joined by the author of this article. Again, hiding Cosmo is no win for the Me Too movement. Honored to be here uh, with the letters editor of the New York Post, Brooke Rogers. Thanks so much for joining the show, Brooke. 
Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Okay. So this, uh, first of all, uh, I want to know why you were inspired to write this article. And second of all, get into a little bit of uh, why you think it's disingenuous for what is now known as the, cent the National Center on Sexual, Sexual Exploitation to try to tie their desire to remove Cosmopolitan from the Walmart check checkout lines to the Me Too movement. Um, what I saw that so Walmart didn't actually tie it directly. They said that they were feeling pressure from outside sources. And but they outside... felt this pressure for quite a while regarding Cosmo, yes, right? Yes, the uh, National Center on Sexual Exploitation, like you said, um, had actually been championing the removal of Cosmo from checkout lines and stores altogether for many years. They got um, several other stores to do it, including Food Lion and a couple other places. And they've been talking for a long time about the fact that Cosmopolitan's hyper sexualized. Mm -hmm. um, one of the spokesmen for National Center on Sexual Exploitation uh, compared it to Playboy mm -hmm. magazine saying that it sold the message that women's sexuality is for men. That women So are... what is the difference in your opinion between something like a, a Playboy or a lot of the other hustlers, all these kinds of things? What is the difference between Cosmo and, and them? Well, there are two differences. The first one is, like you said, um, Cosmopolitan is by women and for women. Mm -hmm. uh, magazines like Playboy, as you would get from the title, are selling sex women's sexuality to men. And that has changed quite a bit in the recent years, as it has in many places. Uh, Playboy's try trying to rebrand as um, a more, I would say, uh, sensitive to women's issues. Well, magazine. I will say... I read it for the articles. That is number one, and they have had some amazing interviews. Playboy will—they've yeah. had some incredible articles. Uh, but yes, go on. But ultimately, it is uh, a magazine that is geared toward men. Right. Um, Cosmopolitan has, like you said, uh, all female editors. The last, I believe, five or six editors um, since uh, Helen Gurley Brown have all been women, mm -hmm. um, and the last two editors, especially, um, have focused quite a bit on rebranding um, certain sections of the magazine to be more focused on uh, politics that center around women's issues like right. um, access to birth control, um, negotiating uh, higher pay, things like that, different... Um, parental even, leave and things like parental that. Parental leave, even things like um, you know gun control issues that we don't necessarily think of as women's issues um, are that, that still affect women are talked about in the magazine. And not to say that Cosmopolitan in any way um, is a perfect example of mm -hmm. you know feminism or uh, women's equality or women's well, what rights. What does that even mean, though? You know, yeah. you hear about all these fractures and feminism and all these movements, and you know, at the end of the day, it's people who have the same goal in mind, mm -hmm. and in some ways, they can self-destruct, right? Right. And if you, if if Playboy um, took broader steps to uh, be more focused on or, or you know appeal more to a female audience, um, I think that they should you know get uh, have a right to do that. They should get a, a chance to do that. And like that, Cosmopolitan, um, although they have had a lot of uh, articles focused on more on male pleasure. Um, in recent years, they have taken a turn from that more toward um, appealing to women and women's sexuality. And they still have a long way to go. But mm -hmm. I think that it is a magazine for women. It's talking to women. Right. And it, when it talks about sexuality, it is 
uh, aiming for women's attention. Well, you write here in the New York Post, ultimately, Cosmo is selling adventurous, weird, sometimes ridiculous, but always consensual sex. Mm -hmm. If anything, Cosmopolitan, uh, Cosmopolitan educating women on sexual issues might combat a culture where they feel ashamed by sex and unlikely to speak up about that abuse. So in a way here, this, uh, this group that wants to see it pulled is it just another way for them to shame women's bodies? In, in a post that they wrote after the fact, after Walmart decided to pull, uh, pull the magazine, and they now, talked about... It is just from the checkout lines, right? It's Cosmopolitan, just from the it, It's still being sold at yeah. the... I don't know if anyone goes to these mega, <laughs> magazine stands anymore, but it is theoretically still sold at a magazine stand in Walmart. It is. You okay. can go back and find it in the magazine section. Uh, it's just not at the checkout lines. It's kind. It was always kind of... Um, it, Part of the, if you look at it, was like women's health and cosmopolitan and time and things like that. It was, it was always kind of a staple there. And it's being pulled now and put in checkout lines. Um, previously, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation was advocating for blinders to be put on or it like children out. are little horse. <laughs> like they're little horses, huh? Put a blinder yeah, on. Yeah, put them. a blinder on. And, you know, there are, like I said, I wrote in the piece, there are certainly reasons for doing that. If you, you know, there are, if parents are squeamish, don't want to answer awkward questions, if, you know, if, if Walmart shoppers, don't want to see sex in big letters on, on you know on the magazine while they're checking out. Sure, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't tie it to a movement that is about uh, mistreatment and abuse and harassment. Because Cosmopolitan, in the end, it's really not selling those things. It's selling uh, women's sexuality to women. Right. It's talking about women's sexuality and always has in a way that you don't see a lot. And much before it was, I wrote, you know, Cosmopolitan has been talking about women's sexuality before it was polite to do so. Right. Right. Yes, they do talk about men's pleasure, but ultimately, especially in recent years, the main focus is on women and, and their lives and their careers and their sexual experience. And I think the it's disingenuous to say that they are responsible for um, the, the kind of abuse we hear about in Me Too. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a post on the NCOSE's website that you referenced. It says, quote, research likewise shows that when someone is being objectified, the objectifier is viewing them as if they do not possess a real individual mind, as if they are less deserving of moral treatment. But you do point out the fact that Cosmo has been run by women. It has been for women, uh, I believe, since, was that since the beginning? No, Cosmopolitan was actually, it has, it's been around for much longer than that. Uh, they brought on um, Helen Gurley Brown and she took it in a different direction and started talking about, um, her whole thing was that um, w single women should enjoy sex, women should enjoy sex in general. And yes, there was a lot, there were a lot of uh, articles about, um, you know, pleasing your husband and looking good while doing so. But it, it, it's come a long way since 1965. Right. And um, just the fact that she thought those things were worth talking about, mm -hmm. that in, during that time when it, they weren't talked about, I think says a lot about the direction of the magazine in general. So do you feel a little bit as if they are um, bastardizing for some uh, to some degree the movement, the Me Too movement? They found something that they can kind of and I, I'm referring uh, to this uh, to this institution here um, uh, that they found something that they can finally use to really uh, get across their more conservative religious agenda. I think they jumped on the bandwagon a little bit. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, you kind of referenced the post where they talk about how um, Cosmopolitan contributes to the objectification of women and that contributes to women being treated more poorly. But if you look at, you know, the the real cause of, of women being treated poorly is that men think that women who are women who are more sexual are 
less human. And that was they actually, you know, reference that explicitly in their uh, right. post. But ultimately, that's not that that is what we need to change. That is the I, that is the, the thought process that we need to change is the idea that, that women's women, sexuality is dirty or something. Yes. And makes them mm. less human, makes them uh, less worthy of, of good treatment. And actually, it's funny because the National Center on Sexual Exploitation used to be called morality and media. And I think right. that's much more indicative of kind of wh- where their uh, where their priorities lie. They're much more worried about. So they're kind of an anti porn um, organization, and they always have been, and they right. didn't start talking about the message about Me Too and and um, harassment and this kind of thing um, in this way, right? Until until this, you point. know, it is interesting. There is a Venn diagram between feminist uh, philosophy and these moral. Um, uh, institutions, Puritanism, Puritanism. Yeah. They they the the anti porn movement. You know, there was just I think it was Pornhub or something like that was trying to do an event uh, in Union Square, and there were protests, but it was mm-hmm. coming from uh, feminists. So yeah. that that is kind of one of those funny marriages that you never. You know, that's, that's the funny thing about politics. They they often create strange bedfellows, uh, for lack of a better term, in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So there is that kind of there is that kind of connection, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of feminists don't like Cosmopolitan because of the same things that uh, this uh, National Center on Sexual Exploitation we're talking about. They feel like it uh, reduces women to their sexuality. And I don't, I, you know, I, don't, I disagree with that point of view. I think that um, I think that women uh, are smart enough to know that a lot of these articles, or at least some of them, are kind of like tongue-in-cheek or silly or right. over the top. Um, I think that a lot of women read Cosmopolitan for fun, but uh, they're all. it's also becoming a little bit more serious. They're talking about uh, more serious issues, right. and I think there's no- I think there's nothing wrong with women reading a mag a fun magazine about sex. You write here it's the assertion that Cosmopolitan is selling quote violent and quote degrading sex. It's only degrading if you think female sexuality is shameful. In fact, Cosmo emphasizes sex that's enjoyable for both partners, but more often than not, it seems to encourage women to pursue their own pleasure above all else and perhaps that has some people who are perhaps that uh that uh, might frustrate some folks as well huh yeah i i think yeah. so and i do think that um cosmopolitan you know because it is for women it is it is directing these tips and the, you know these articles toward women and in that way it's saying we want you to have power to do what you want to you know it, the, these tips are for women because they want women to take control of their sexuality and and I think that's I, I think it's a good message. I, think, I don't think you know. Again, I'm not saying that that it's perfect or that and certainly not for all ages, perhaps. Oh no, of course. Which is right. why I said that I think that there is a case to be made for it. You know, being taken out of the aisle. It just doesn't have anything to do with the Me Too movement. Well, thank you so much for being here. Letters thank editor for, for the New me. York Post. If you ever write to the New York Post, you're talking uh, to Brooke Rogers there. Please so. include your name and city of residence. It makes my job a lot easier. Yeah, unless spelling errors. That would also <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? Um, all right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kisser. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Just a couple of more minutes before we wrap it up uh, for the night. I'll be back here every Wednesday and Thursday uh, throughout the month of April. I want to thank you for all the uh, amazing phone calls we received. I want to thank Juan Williams and Brooke Rogers uh, for being incredible guests. I'll read a couple of comments here off the Facebook page. Sam Miller says, thank God you're on instead of those others. Talk radio hasn't been the same since Alan Combs passed away. RIP Mr. Combs. And what an honor it is uh, to simply be mentioned in the same category. Uh, Greg's, Greg Alexander referring to uh, the wall. Try the many ways to, sec- to secure our ports and 
and borders. Mexico is only one aspect of hashtag national security and secure borders prevention is a must. He also says, great show. Thank you for that, Greg. Yeah, some great comments here. So I appreciate uh, everything uh, that you guys are saying there. And again, you can watch the show right there on Facebook. You can watch all the shows uh, right here on Fox News Radio, right there on Facebook uh, Live. Let's see. Anything else, Christine? Is there anything that you want to say? Any any closeout? What do you want to say to the people? Let them know. Uh, you, you know what? We never really covered. Can I fire you? No, you cannot fire me. But I'm, I, but I'm I, already fired, basically, well, so I it doesn't just, matter. I haven't told. Brooke is still sitting here when we've been chatting along, so sorry uh-huh. I wasn't really paying attention uh, that, to you. No, that's fine. Um, all but, right, let's um, just wrap I, it up with what we talked about. You fired your babysitter. I fired my babysitter today, and I've never fired someone in my life. And How do you boy, feel? boy, did it feel good. <laughs> I want to fire everybody around here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I also have no power to do that, just so you know. Right, absolutely. Uh, again, you can find me on Twitter as well, at Ben Kissel. Taylor Zablowski, as a matter of fact, says Ben Kissel at, uh, and Brooke Rogers. I loved the article. I know now that Cosmo is pretty ridiculous accidentally buying it instead of a Cosmo girl. Once helped me uh, make me open enough to talk to my friends about sex. It helped me get more comfortable talking to the dude about sex, not exploitative um all right everyone find me on social media at ben kissel instagram at ben kissel one uh, again i'll be back here wednesday and thursday throughout the entire month of april so i will talk to you next wednesday i am sure we will have plenty to get to all right we'll talk to you soon The savings rock when you find a new way to roll, like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it.